chapter 7, please. We are officially finishing this chapter, and that means we are officially finishing the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we've seen quite a few things in this chapter, in these uh, couple of chapters, where Jesus started out with the Beatitudes, talking about how happy a person is, how blessed they are when they respond the way somebody who is a believer should respond. Okay, and then Jesus went ahead and gave us really, really important instructions about righteousness not being based on a pharisaical uh, checking off boxes, very legalistic form of the law, but that it was something that was accomplished in us as we have that amazing relationship with the Lord Jesus. And um, we also were reminded that the book of Matthew, and this is going to come into play very much today, so I want to make sure we rehearse this, that Matthew's focus when he wrote the book was to present Messiah to the Jews. Okay, that is his focus. That is what he has been doing. Okay, Mark, Luke, John have different reasons and different methods in which they're displaying Jesus Christ in their writing style. Matthew is specifically saying to the Jewish people, your Messiah has arrived and let me show you some things why. And he is the only one that records that the Magi come and give Jesus the credibility that from the Old Testament scriptures, even in the Far East, they understood that the King of the Jews would come. And over and over, Matthew's focus is on that. Because of that, there are passages in the um, Sermon on the Mount that are kind of taken and twisted a little bit. And we're going to come across that a little bit today. So Jesus gave all these pointers about, listen, if you are one of my children, one of my followers, I'm more interested in you being who I want you to be than just doing what I want you to do. Okay, remember, we could rehearse some more stuff about this. You know, they said, oh, thou shalt not kill. I ain't never killed anybody. And Jesus says, yes, but if you have hatred in your heart towards someone, that's just as bad. Do not commit adultery. I've never done anything with anybody else. And Jesus says, if you've even lusted and you have uncontrolled or unchecked lust in your heart, you violated that scripture. Jesus wanted to take it from the letter of the law, like, I ain't killed nobody, so I'm all set. Okay, God's saying, listen, no, this is a characteristic of a believer, one of my father's followers. If you have that, you should be acting a certain way, not just checking off a box, all right? And we just talked about that. Then Jesus got into the last half, and this is what we've been looking at for the few weeks we've been here in this section, and that is he gives several warnings, all right? So we're going to go ahead and get up on our slides here. Okay, so he gives a couple more warnings that we'll look at today. So he ended with blessings, and he, he in the middle talked about us changing our behaviors to represent him on who he is, and then he gives some warnings. Okay, and the first couple of ones, uh, again, Matthew, this is the last chapter. Warning number one was the warning of the straight gate. Okay, remember he said, broad is the way, and many go unto destruction, but straight Okay, straight is the gate, straight is the way that leads unto life everlasting. And we talked about that, that there are many people in this world, especially in America, we talked about the statistics that about 75% claim themselves to be Christians in America. Well, I find that hard to believe when Jesus goes ahead and says, few find the right way. 
Many are messed up in their thinking when it comes to how to get to heaven and their relationship with God. And Jesus says, only a few. So if you're going to tell me that the majority of the American people have this straightened out with God, I doubt it. And this is why it's very important that we go out there and share the gospel, even with somebody you think is a Christian. Somebody who has claimed, goes to church their whole life, that doesn't mean they're not on the broad way. Jesus gives a warning. Straight is the way, narrow. And he went ahead and said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father. Then we talked about another warning. And just before we left, uh, two weeks ago, we talked about the false prophets. And be careful, because there are many of those out in this world. Okay, and if they try to preach another God, if they try to preach something that's not true to God's word, if they share something that's not truthful, they are not one of God's prophets. And that is why we are so careful that we have the words of God and we're going to teach the words of God. And Dan rehearsed this again in Sunday school that we're not up here creating ideas and coming up with our own presuppositions and ideas about culture and no, we're teaching what the Word of God says. And you know how many times Paul has said, put them in remembrance? I'm asking you, because I don't know. I know it's a lot of times. So he doesn't say, listen, Timothy, Titus, you guys, you don't have to come up with new ideas. Just remind them what the Bible says. Okay, and that's the key. And we've got a lot of folks out there who, in the name of Jesus, are talking about all kinds of ridiculous things. And it is far from what the Word of God says. And that's a warning that Jesus gave us. So we're going to look at the last two warnings that Jesus gives this morning. A warning about false professions. So let's go ahead and read this short part of the passage here and then we'll pray. Not everyone, verse 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven, many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works. And I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye, worker, ye that work iniquity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for all the amazing things that Jesus has taught and Lord, we're just getting into this book of Matthew. There's so much more here for us to understand. But the Sermon on the Mount across the board is really important to many denominations, many Christian circles. And Lord, uh, there are many things we can hone our relationship with you and our character and our testimony in this world. Thank you for what we've seen. But Jesus also gives some warnings here. And it's important that we understand that not everything in this world that calls itself godly, that represents itself as Christian, is where it should be. And so, Father, I just pray, number one, that you would be with my mind today. Lord, uh, it's broken, it's corrupt, it's all over the place many times. But the key is it's your word of the word that is true and constant and the final authority. So be with me as I put it into... Uh, voice lord that it would be something that your holy spirit could use to hone us and father to correctly interpret what the bible says and father also help us to take seriously the things that are said here 
in our own lives that we can adjust and leave changed. So, Father, I ask this blessing uh, in Jesus' name. Amen. So, we begin to look at false professions. Now, there's a very important phrase here, and this is why I, I, I was very specific in reminding us that Matthew is writing specifically to the Jews. Okay, that is very important. Now we get to chapter 13, and Jesus begins to change his approach and starts to reach out to the Gentiles, and Matthew will make it clear when that happens. But Matthew's design, his purpose, is to remind the Jews that they had a promised king, and Jesus is him. With that in mind, though, here's something that when we look at this passage of Scripture, sometimes there's confusion that, wait a minute, so... When we come to you and say, Lord, Lord, and you say, depart from me, I never knew you. And we come to you and say, we did lots of works in your name, Lord, and we want to enter heaven, but we can't. What does this mean? Have you ever heard any kind of crazy teaching around this, that people have struggles with this? Well, very important that we look, break these words down carefully. Okay, uh, Remember, it's a Jewish Messiah Speaking to Jews. Now, here's the phrase. And Wednesday night Bible study, guys, it's amazing how God dovetails these things together. We just looked at these words. That God is very specific in his, in his word in prophecy when he talks about that day and those days. Okay? This is extremely important in this passage. It says, many will come in that day. Well, what is that day? Okay, well, here we're going to look at it, all right? In the Bible, that day is the end of the tribulation, the second coming of Jesus Christ. This is not talking about the great white throne judgment. Now, I can talk to you more about those things later. At one point, God is going to gather all of the people from the entire world who are not believers at the great white throne judgment, and he is going to um, issue their final decree for their life. Okay? That is not what we are talking about. When the Bible uses the phrase, in that day, that is when Jesus comes again at the second coming, at the end of the tribulation period. Okay, the tribulation period, folks, is solely and wholeheartedly only about the children of Israel. The church is not there. Okay, and we'll look at that as we look at a few scriptures. So when Jesus is saying, listen, many of you guys are going to come to me in that day at the second coming at the end of the tribulation and cry out to me, Lord, Lord, he's not talking to you and I, the church. He is talking about the Jews, period. All right, let's look at a couple of verses. Okay, God chooses to refer as that day in his prophecy. Zephaniah, it says, Zephaniah 1, 14 and 15 says, the great day of the Lord is near. Uh, it is near and hasten greatly. Even the voice of the day of the Lord, the mighty man cry there bitterly. Verse, that day is a day of wrath. Here God is using that exact phrase, that day, to describe the day of the Lord. When he comes, keep, uh, I'll keep reading this, day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and thick gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness. When God comes in that day of the Lord, to judge at the end of the tribulation period, that is the day we are speaking of. Keep going. Jeremiah. And these are the words that the Lord spake concerning who? Israel and Judah. You see that with me, right? 
doesn't say concerning believers, doesn't concer say concerning the saved, it doesn't say concerning Gentiles, this is for Israel. Okay? For thus saith the Lord, we have heard the voice of trembling and of fear, not of peace. Alas, for that day is great. There it is again. So that none is like it, even in the time of Jacob's trouble, but he shall be saved out of it. Who uh, qualifies for Jacob's trouble? Anybody know whose Jacob's kids are referred to as? The children of Israel? Okay, so I just want this to be clear. When we're talking about this passage Matthew is writing, we're talking about something specifically for Hebrews, for Jews, for the children of Israel. So when we're talking about in that day, there's going to be crying unto the Lord, this is not you and me. Okay, and on Wednesday night, and I'm not going to teach this section now, but please, you can come talk to me later, that the church is already raptured out. We are no longer here. Say, this is something that you and I don't have to worry about. Our salvation is secure. But there is going to be a point in that day where there will be those who cry out to the Lord and Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. And that is why it says in this passage, and let me just make sure I'm quoting it exactly the way it is said. Uh, Have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name hath done wonderful works? Basically, they're going to say, look at all the amazing things we did in your name. And Jesus said, that doesn't matter. I don't know you. Okay, and there are passages in Luke that talked about Christians. You, you and I realize that if you're, you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you don't have a part in eternity with God. But this passage in Matthew is specifically for the Jews. All right, keep going. We've got another passage here. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. The lofty look of men shall be humbled, and the haughtiness of men shall be bowed down. The Lord alone shall be exalted in that day, for the day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon every one that is proud and lofty, and upon every one that is lifted up, and he shall be brought low. This is talking about the judgment of Jesus Christ when he comes at his second coming in that day. Now, understand something and i had to say this on wednesday night there are many times it will say and in that day david went out to tend his sheep okay that's we're not talking about it there okay but we are when god's talking about a prophecy where he says listen god is going to do something in the future and he says in that day that is the day of the lord that is the day when the lord comes at the end of the tribulation to put his feet on the Mount of Olives and split that mountain wide open and to judge all those who have stood against God in Israel. Okay, another one, and this isn't up here, but along with that day, when it says, and in those days, okay, when you see prophecies in the scripture and it says, and in those days, people will run to the mountains and in those days, there will be great, it is talking about the seven years of tribulation. Okay, so when you read this phrase, in that day, that's the day that Jesus Christ comes again. When you see the phrase, in those days in prophecy, it's talking about that tribulation that's leading up to that. Now, I see the look on some of your faces. You got that blank stare. The entire reason I'm saying all this is because we have to be very careful how we apply this passage. And we've already seen this earlier in the, Mount, uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, that people will read this and go, oh, see, that's what the church is supposed to do. Jesus was not speaking this to the church. This was something that he was saying, hey, 
you Israelites who have been waiting for your physical king and a physical kingdom on the throne of David in Jerusalem, that you guys have been anticipating that, here's some things you need to understand about what the Old Testament taught you. This is not, oh, you know what? As a church, we better line up and start doing these things. That is not what Matthew is doing. So we need to be very careful when we read this. He warns about false professions. Now, does that mean you and I are out of the woods? Absolutely not. You and I know very well that a professing Jesus Christ as Savior is the only way that you and I will spend eternity with God. Okay? As a Christian, the only way. There is, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. That is something that is for you and I as Christians in this Gentile age. But this passage is specifically directed at Jews. So if you read this and go, oh my word, someday I might come up to the Lord and say, Lord, Lord, we did all these wonderful things in, 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 in your name, and am I coming in? You know, St. Peter, those silly cartoons where Peter's got his clipboard at the golden, uh, you know. Oh, it's Mark's birthday. We'll pick on Mark today. Mark, birthday today. Ah, oh, you're entering heaven. Well, let me see here. I can only check the book, see if everything's all. No. You and I have a place guaranteed, and that is one of the privileges of being a Christian. Okay? Jews in the Old Testament time and Jews in the future after the church is removed have a different uh, economy. They have to contain and maintain their faith until the end. We do not. We are guaranteed a place. So don't read this passage and go, oh my word, someday I might stand before the Lord and he'll say, go. I never knew you. Okay, one of the things, and again, we could stay for the next two hours and talk about this, about my sheep hearing my voice and they know me, and that when you receive the Lord Jesus Christ, you are guaranteed a place in his heaven. But there are some who will try to twist this and use it to say that you could lose your salvation. And I want to be very clear to make sure that we are understanding that is not what this is talking about. Okay, this is talking about the Jews trying to uphold the righteousness of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were doing all these things, casting out demons, doing all this stuff, trying to earn brownie points with God. And the rest of the Jews are thinking, oh man, I got I to gotta match up to the Pharisees and what they're doing to have a, have a place in heaven We've already talked about this week after week. Jesus said, if you don't exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, which is not accomplished by works, it is solely and 100% accomplished through the grace of God. But this is a Jewish passage. All right, you with me so far? Now, if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, we'll deal with this in a minute, um, this is not an issue for you, nor is it an issue for me. Okay, uh, Another misunderstood passage, Kim already put this up. Uh, keep going, go back one. Okay, um, remember it is a physical earthly kingdom. Not everyone. Guys, on Wednesday night we let, read another a passage from Jeremiah that talks about that God is going to remove the rebels. Okay, that there are going to be Hebrews. Here's the thought. Um, let me put, put this together in a good way. In the future time of tribulation, it is not your ethnicity that gets you into heaven. 
Sometimes think, oh, I'm, I'm a children of a Jewish person. I'm Jewish, so I'm guaranteed in. Many will say on that day. And God says, wait, depart from me. Okay, we can talk about the mark of the beast. We can talk about all that stuff. But I just want this to be understood when it talks to the Jews. Because sometimes they say, oh, that means all Jewish people are saved in the... Tr-. That is not what the Bible says. It is still based on... And now we can go to the next slide. The focus is the relationship, knowing God. Okay? There are many will prophesy, have cast out, many have done many wonderful works. That is not what buys you into the grace of God. The truth of God's word is salvation for a Jew, a Gentile, Old Testament, New Testament, tribulation period, is always by faith through God's grace. Always. It is never by works. So they come up and say, God, look at all these awesome things we've done in your name. And Jesus says, that's great, I never knew you. Now, even though this is speaking about Jews, how many people right now are in churches across this country doing a lot of things in the name of Jesus, but they don't know him? They don't have a relationship with him. They have never based their salvation and their relationship with God on saving work of Jesus Christ. They've based it on religious activities and some sort of thing that they're doing in the name of God. And Dan dealt with this a little bit in Sunday school this morning. You know, there are churches with people in pulpits at this very moment who are talking about social issues, reviewing what happened in the news yesterday, talking about what's important in humanity, and they're doing it all in the name of Jesus, but not one of them have, well, forgive me, Father, I'm not going to make that judgment, According to Jesus' own words, few have a true relationship. Many will come and say, we've done all this in your name. That means only a few really understand the relationship they have with God. That's what Matthew is trying to focus here on when Jesus is quoting this and saying, listen, there are going to be a lot of people in that day, in the Jews, but there's a lot of people who claim to be Christians today who don't have a relationship with Jesus, but they think they're doing a lot of things in his name. Um, There are a lot of people in a lot of churches preaching garbage in the name of Jesus. Things that have absolutely nothing to do with what Jesus has said in his word. And they will say, what would Jesus do? I'm telling you, politicians, false prophets, Bad preachers. Well, Jesus wants us to do this. I saw an interesting thing. If I can find it again, I'll bring it up to us at church. It said, five things that Jesus never said. Thought it was really cool. One of them was, follow your heart. Jesus never said that. Know what the Bible says? A heart of man is desperately wicked. It also says that God is greater than our hearts and knows all things. There's a lot of religious groups who put out silly statements. Like, Jesus wants you to follow your heart. (laughs) Jesus wants you to follow his word. Because my heart comes up with some crazy things now and then. But I'll tell you what, there's an entire movement across our world, and whether it's gender or anything else, I want to follow my heart. Stop it! Or at least stop doing it and tagging Jesus' name to it. 
because you're going to fall into this category where Jesus says, listen, thanks, you did a lot of stuff in my name, but I didn't know you. You didn't have true salvation. Anyway, let's keep going. Grace versus works is the issue. Quoted this in Sunday school, quoting it today. For by grace are ye saved through faith. That not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And these folks are coming and saying, Lord, where's my place in heaven, in this kingdom of heaven? This is great. And Jesus says, uh, you think you're boasting because of the great works you think you've done? Haven't we done many wonderful works in your name? Man, we looked at this morning, and again, I love how God's word just dovetails together that every single one of us are broken, decrepit, miserable folks, and the only reason we're able to do anything in this world is because of the grace of God in our lives. You know, the almightiest touch where everything he touched turned to gold? We're just the opposite. Everything we touch turns to a mess if it's not for God's grace in us. Every good and perfect gift is from above. not about what we do it's about who he is and if we have that relationship with him and he gives us the ability to carry out and we have the privilege to serve him every single day how awesome is that let's keep going warning the last warning is watch out about a false foundation this is where jesus is pinning this down guys um let's read these verses together and you may get a clue about a couple of songs we sang this morning. Verse 24. Wherefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man that buildeth his house upon a rock. And the rains descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat upon that house and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And every one that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not, shall be likened to a foolish man who built his house upon the sand. And the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and be, uh, beat the house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. I mean, you, you, Sunday school kids, Derek's smiling, right? The foolish man built his house upon the sand, right? The foolish man, okay. And the house on the sand fell flat, splat. Come on, Derek's got it. I should have him come up here and sing it. Okay. This is one of the ones we use very, very easily. It's a, it's, God has made a picture book. And guys, I, I have been a contractor for years. This is so vivid to me. Uh, I just looked at a house with a friend contractor about certain things. I walked in there and I just went. This was built in like 1780-something. And I'm like, yeah, they didn't have any codes back then. Because there are certain things I'm looking at this going, there's no reason this should be standing the way this is built. Because there's no, no, nothing to gird it up. Nothing to build on. It should have fallen down a long time ago. Now this is the interesting thing. Jesus says, if you be the person I'm asking you to be, and I know you and you know me, then you should do some of the things I've asked you to do. Now, this is important because Jesus has gone very carefully through this and said, don't just do things thinking you're impressing me. But he says, now that I know you, because get the he just got done saying, depart from me because I never knew you. Yeah, you did a lot of things for me, 
but the relationship is what is important. And he follows it right up with, okay, if you know me, then you should do these things. Okay, so Jesus never says, don't do anything for me. He just says, do it because we have a relationship, not do it because you think you're earning your way with me. So he says, if you hear my words and do them, then you just built your house upon a rock. If you didn't, then your house is on shifting sand and it ain't going to stand. Now, here's the fun part about this. We know the sand pictures work, religion, false prophets, tradition. How many people that are in churches today, and please forgive me, I don't mean to say, how good are we at Bethel Bible Church that we're so good, you know, that we try our best. And we're trying to take the word of God and every truth that we find, share it together and live it out. Okay, but there are other churches that preach that if you would just say a certain number of prayers or give a certain amount of money or do certain charities, if you would respect the church leadership and get, you know, that that'll earn you a place in heaven. That is not what God's word teaches. That's building your house upon the sand. None of those things will stand. There is only one rock. Who's the rock? Man, you guys are so smart. How'd you know that? Okay, look, keep going. A proper relationship with God leads to obedience of him, right? In Luke, so we just got done reading the passage that says, why call me Lord, Lord? You know, in that day, your works ain't going to matter for nothing because I don't know you. But in Luke, he says, and why call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? So in this passage, he says, listen, you're calling out to me, Lord, Lord, and that's not going to get you to heaven, all the works you've done, all the things you're doing for me. What difference does that make? Here, he says, why are you calling me, Lord, Lord, when you're not doing the things I asked you? What's the difference? I never knew you. It is based upon a relationship. There are many people in this world, sometimes me, who think if I do all the right things, God is pleased with me. No, God is pleased with me because he's my father and I'm his son. I didn't love my kids more just because, hey, this week they made their bed. Man, the love is just flowing around here. I, I've never felt so much love. No, that's not based upon what we do. The love of father and son, mother and child, is not based upon a list of do's and don'ts. It's built on a relationship. And those things that are done are done because we love one another. How many times <laughs> my wife and I got up and dragged ourselves out to go to a football practice or a soccer practice or a volleyball practice and in Monadnock School District, you know, driving from here all the way down to there, you know, who knows what in the morning, and then at night dragging a sweaty, soccer-smelly football, nasty, ugh. We did that because, you know, that just made our love that much stronger. No, there are times we looked at each other and said, I hate football. <laughs> we did it because we loved our children. Not because we like the smelly, nasty car at 8.30 at night when the children are starving, screaming, that, can we stop for pizza? You understand? It is not doing to get. It's doing because you got. 
Why cry to me, Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Do them, and you're building your house upon the rock. Who's that rock? Hallelujah. Keep going. The rock. Exodus. I love these verses. Exodus. Behold, I will stand before thee, and there shall be a rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come out water out of it, that the people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. So there was a rock. You know the story. They were dying of thirst, and they were complaining and whining. And Lord, we're dying of thirst. We need some water. And God says, yeah, just go up to this rock and smite the rock, and I'll bring water. There's a lot I can teach about this. I'm not. Go to Corinthians and look what it says. The reason this is important is because what he says in Corinthians. They drank from that rock and did all drink from the same spiritual rock, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was who? So that picture of Jesus providing them of the spiritual water in the Old Testament was a picture of Jesus Christ. He was the rock. Deuteronomy, man, what a great passage this is in chapter 32. Look what it says. He is the rock. His work is perfect. For all his ways are judgment, a God of truth without iniquity, just and right is he. I ought to hear an amen somewhere just after that passage. That is awesome. But look what it says later on in this chapter. He is the rock, capital R, of his salvation. Verse 18, the rock that begat thee. Verse 31, for their rock is not as our rock. Who is the rock? The Lord Jesus Christ, guys. Okay, have you built your house upon the rock? Or you built your house... Have you built your house upon religion or tradition or works? Or is it built on the fact that you have a relationship with the Son of God, Jesus Christ? Awesome stuff. Now I'm going to hit one more thing for teaching purposes. Keep going. One moment, and there's a blank slide. Oh. Ah, there we go. Matthew chapter 18, uh, 16, verse 18. Uh, There are teachings about this passage that mishandled it, and I want to make sure that now that we're reading who the rock is, that in a certain very, very large denomination in Christianity, uh, they try to say that Peter is the rock that the church is built on. I want to make sure we understand that that is not what we build our faith on. Okay? This is very specific, so I want you to look at it with me. Okay, now remember Jesus said, who do men say that I am? And some said, you're Elias, some said, you're one of the prophets. And Peter, Simon Peter steps up and says, "Um, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, you know what? Earth hasn't revealed that to you, but my father in heaven. And he goes and says, "Um, because of what you've said, Peter, I want you to understand something. He says, and I say unto thee that thou art Peter, Petros, okay? Means a little piece of a rock, a stone. Little thing. And upon this rock, Petra, a massive rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He's not saying I'm going to build my house on you, Peter. He's saying... I'm going to build my house on the fact that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. 
upon this rock, on the statement that you know who I am. I am Christ. I am Messiah. Upon that rock, I'll build my church. Okay, there, again, I'm just trying to tell you, as, as long as we're dealing with this issue of who is the rock, we have to be sure because there is a very large millions and millions of people who have been taught down through the centuries that the rock that our churches are built upon is Peter. No, the rock that our churches are built upon is the rock that founded thee, the rock of salvation, not their rock, our rock, Jesus Christ. So Jesus warns and says, you're going to have a false profession because you don't know me. And you might have done some things in my name, and that's great, but it doesn't matter if you don't know me. He says, if you really know me and are one of mine, you're going to do things because you love me. And when you do, you're founded upon me, the rock, Jesus Christ. Keep going. So Jesus concludes this passage in, this la in the last two verses. And it came to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. Why? For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. They looked and said, this guy is not just talking about the word of God as it's just some sort of writing. He's talking about it with the authority of God. And that's where you and I can stand. That's why it's so important that everything we teach comes from his word. A couple of things. They were amazed because he spoke with authority. He wasn't worried about what people think. Now get this. This is crazy. Again, we've been looking at this for quite a few weeks there are scribes and Pharisees, Sadducees, and leaders, priests and stuff in the temple and in the leadership. And Jesus basically comes in front of all of them and says, uh, you think you're going to get there by the righteousness that these guys are displaying? That really, I'm sure, won him a lot of brownie points with the leaders of the Jewish people. He was not worried about making people feel bad. He was speaking the truth with authority. And that's what's important. We just dealt with this in Sunday school. Let's look at it again. Jesus gives us a few pointers here that we can look at. Next slide says, we can speak with the authority of God's word. We don't need to be open-minded about people's private interpretation of God's word. Well, I think the Bible says this. And I think the Bible, yeah, man, I'm, if you are not on TikTok or some of these other things, man, good on you. Because there are so many people who get on those things and try to tell you what they think God means. Well, God is a God of love, so he's a God of acceptance and all that. And why would you want to make anybody upset? And we don't want to step on anybody's toes. And we don't want everybody to be happy and live in a world of marshmallows. And Jesus was not worried about whether people liked what he said. He spoke with the authority of God's word. And you and I could do the same thing. Now, does that mean we do it on purpose to make people angry? No. But it does not mean we have to back down because what we say may not be what somebody likes. And I've said this before. I've had some interesting neighbors who had a lifestyle that I biblically disagree with. I loved them as my neighbors. They were great folks. Okay? Didn't you know, walk over to the fence and scream at them about their life choices. 
we got along just fine. But if they asked me what God's word taught about the subject, we could speak with the authority of the word of God. I don't have to be unhappy the fact that they're next to me. I just understand that God has made it clear what his expectation is. Right? Some won't like it or even get offended. If you share God's word, some people ain't going to like it. But you know what? Jesus was not worried about that. Are you? There's sometimes, and I've done it in my own life, where people ask a question, well, what about this? Oh, crud. You know what? It's a good answer. Well, you know what? Let's get back to that. Let me ask you about Jesus. Because they'll try to drag you off into some subjects that you can fight about. Make the subject what it ought to be. We'll look at that in a second. Okay? We're not, well, we're not to worry about people feeling good. You know why I know that? Because I read God's word sometimes and I don't always feel so good. Sometimes we look and say, oh yeah, we'll get out there in the world and tell those people what God thinks. You know what? When I read my Bible on a daily basis, God sometimes reminds me, Craig, smarten up. And it doesn't feel so good. Please, I want to make sure we know, well, we're the high and lofty Christian folks and we have the judgment and we'll pass it on everybody. Every single day, I get spanked by the Lord because I ain't perfect. If, I, if God's word's going to hit me where it hurts, and he's not worried about me always feeling good. Oh, Lord. And I go, you're right. And of course, if we heard a voice from heaven, which I don't, so don't get worried, that God's going to say, I know I'm right, okay? There's times I don't always feel good. There's times I have to realize that God didn't write this so that I would be offended. He's trying to help me and show me what he wants. We are not in a popularity contest. We preach God's word. And we preach the truth of God's word. There's a pastor friend that, the, that taught a, a college course. And the college course was called Say It With Love. I want to make sure we put that in there. Because just because God speaks against something that's in this world doesn't mean we have to go out there and beat people to death with the Bible. We still reach out to them in love. What's the key? Keep going. We're to worry about their relationship with God. And so if somebody comes up to you and says, well, what do you think about abortion? How about say, well, listen, we can get back to that, but do you have your relationship with God in the right terms? You know Jesus Christ is your Savior. Well, what do you think about all this fentanyl coming across the border? Well, yeah, that's a problem, but you know sin is a big problem across this world. You know what fixes that sin problem? Jesus. See, sometimes we forget what the most important thing that we have is. That is Jesus is the cure. And we'll get drawn right down into some of these things. Now, we don't back down from the Scripture, guys. We have its authority. We're not worried about offending people or making people feel good. But that doesn't mean we don't make the number one 
point the number one point. Jesus said, listen, what do you think you're doing with all these works in my name? I don't know you. And at the same time, he says, if you knew me, you'd be doing all these works that I'm asking you to do. The issue is a relationship with God. So when you and I are going out in this world, there's a lot of crazy stuff that we can thump our Bible on going on in this world that shouldn't be happening. But the issue is that they know Jesus. Someone who is not a believer is not going to act like a believer. Someone who doesn't know God is not going to be acting like a Christian. You need to first make sure that they understand their relationship with Jesus first. And then let Jesus work on them. There are a lot of churches for a lot of people who are acting a certain way because a pastor or a priest or a bishop or somebody else told them that's what they should do. But they're not doing it because they believe it's true. You know who does that? Someone who has a relationship with Jesus and who changes their behavior because they know that that's what God wants from them. Jesus had some serious warnings here. So here's the question. How's your relationship with God? Now, I know a lot of your testimonies. I know you have put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as Savior. That's great. I hope so. Because if you don't have a relationship with God, it doesn't matter what you do. But if you do have a relationship with God, and He's delivered you from your sins because of His awesome love, it should want you to serve drag your kids to football get them up early in the morning pack them snacks all that things that we just loved doing every day no we did it because we loved our kids we serve i almost sang this song but those other ones there's a song in our hymnal hymnal that says i will serve thee because i love thee that's where our focus needs to be you serve because of the relationship that we have. So Jesus ends up this Sermon on the Mount with a couple things to be warned about. And they were amazed because he spoke God's word with authority. We are able to do the same. But it's all based upon our relationship with God. So with that in mind, first Sunday morning of, the, of every month, we share the Lord's Supper together. And of course, we know that uh, a little wafer and a half an ounce of juice makes us absolutely perfect with our God, right? No. There is absolutely nothing, because we used to break up masa crackers, right? And pour out some really bitter, nasty juice. Man, that, some of that stuff was awful. It is not those things that bring us in the right relationship and, and check it with God. The basis is we sit down and say, God, I need to examine myself to make sure my Heavenly Father is happy with me. We say this all the time, uh, and there's a standing joke with a lot of uh, parents of teenagers. You sit down and dinner table, the table, and say, how was your day? And what a teenager says, uh, that's all you can get out of them? How was your day? It's all right. What'd you do today? Nothing. You were gone to school for eight hours. You didn't do anything? 
Okay, this is when we sit down with our Heavenly Father and say, God, it's been a month since we shared the Lord's Supper together. Are you happy with me? How am I doing? Am I 